scripture reading for today is Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. And the word of the Lord says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Amen. All right. This is going to be our last service in King Bar. This is also the last sermon uh, of the nine core values that uh, our pastors have been preaching through. We are today on the ninth and last core value. So let's review those core values. Starting with number one is be extravagant in worship. Number two, freedom is for everyone. Number three, Father the fatherless. Number four, be faithful in small things. Number five, the anointing flows from the top down. Number six, roll with the punches. Number eight, supernatural is natural. Number seven, I'm saying number eight, contend for the kingdom. I can't count. <laughs> and number nine, dream big. Today we are covering dream Big. Oh, yeah. This is a big dream that uh, that Russia and America were in competition for back in, uh, I think it's the 40s and 50s. And finally, I think America was the first to put a man on the moon. Is that true? All you Americans out there, is that true? All right. So we, we, we have that claim to fame. All right. Dream big. Dream big. Who knew? Who knew that we could put a man on the moon? Hallelujah. That's a big dream right there. Now, um, so today we're covering the ninth of our core values, and it happens to be the last core value. It happens to be the last service here in King Bar, and uh, I know that um, you know we we just leave King Bar with blessings and leave the owner with blessings because they've been very hospitable in opening up their facilities and allowing us to use this bar uh, for the last what has it been like seven months, uh, seven months. All right. But the Lord is uh, moving us into a beautiful new facility. Some of you guys see some pictures on Facebook. Yeah? Other people, you're going to just come, come, come show up here next week. Okay. No, don't do that. All right? The new facility is 10 minutes down from exit 3. 10-minute walk. There's also a bus you can take. It drops you off right in front of the, uh, the building. It's called The Koreans call it the Yongho Building. All right? So if you're looking for it and you're lost... Which really will be hard to do because it's easy to find. But in case you do get lost, it's called a Yongho building. And I found out that Yong stands for dragon and Ho stands for tiger. It's the dragon tiger building. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't like the dragon part. We've got to get the Yong out somehow. <laughs> but um, we're going to start worshiping there next week. Hope you guys are looking forward to that. Uh, today we looked at Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. Uh, if you look with me into that passage for a moment. In the ESV it reads that God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. 
Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God took Abraham out in this instance in the night and told him to count the stars. Now what if God came to you tonight and let's say you happen to make a trip all the way out into the suburbs because you can't see the stars from the city. You happen to be out in the suburbs somewhere and God says to you very clearly, I want you to count the stars. And you in your ignorance, you try to count the stars. You're like one, two, three. And God's like, by the way, you can't, you can't number the stars. You can't count the stars. There's too many up there. And he says, so shall your bank account be next month. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be quite exciting. Or if, if so shall your offspring be. That would be kind of scary. If, if like literally you had that many children to take care of. Okay, but, but obviously... Um, what God? Why did God take Abraham and do this? Why not just reveal to Abraham what God was about to do in his life little by little? Why bring him out here under these stars and tell him to count the stars? Why did God do that? Um, why did God have Abraham count these stars? And I believe the reason why God had Abraham count these stars before Abraham started to experience the, the will of God for his life is because God was challenging Abraham to dream big. Everybody say that. Dream big. Dream big. Turn to your name. Tell them you need to dream, dream bigger than that. You're, you got some small dreams. Get some bigger ones. <laughs> why, why are dreams important? You know, uh, you know, it's a popular saying in American culture. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Why are dreams so important? And I believe God believes that dreams are important. Because you know what? Dreams provide the momentum for you to reach your destinies. Dreams provide the momentum for you to reach your destinies. That's why dreams are so important. When you nurture your faith and your belief in these dreams that God has for you, if you nurture your faith in dreams... That faith will carry you through anything. God works to nurture our dreams. Satan works to destroy our dreams. And the thing is, in seed form, each and inside each and every Christian, inside each and every person that gets born again, God puts inside of them purposes, callings, destiny inside of every Christian. And God also provides the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit is there to, to help you and to fill you, to empower you so that you can fulfill all those dreams and destinies. But many times, Christians, they do not get to see their dreams fulfilled. And it's not that they don't have dreams. So, you know, older Christians... They have dreams when they're younger. You know, you know, it's just a very natural dreaming is a very natural thing to do, even if you're not a Christian. You know, if you if you when I was a kid, I used to play street hockey. And when I would play street hockey, I would always pretend that I'm Rick Tockett or I'm Tim Kerr or I'm Ron Hextall, these like amazing Philadelphia Flyers hockey players. I used to pretend that I was gonna one day play for the NHL. Nobody told me, hey, you know, you should dream about playing in the NHL. Like 
All my friends, when we play street hockey, we'd all pretend that we're professional players. We would all dream that one day we can play in the professionals. Every kid that ever plays basketball, you know, and, 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 you know, kids are, you need to tell kids not to dream. You know, because it's just, I think it's just part of us being created in God's image. You know, we have this in, an, a wonderful ability to dream. You know, and, and God nurtures the dreams of our hearts. Satan tries to destroy the dreams of our heart. The reason being is because it's much easier for Satan to destroy your destiny when it's in seed form rather than for him to try to tackle you on once you're mature. If you're already walking in it, that already spells defeat for him. But if he can get you in your infancy, he can get to your dreams while still in seed form. Right? Even in the parable of the sower, what does Jesus say? Right? Word of God, it goes, it's like a guy going out and sowing seed. Right? Some, some fall on certain, certain kinds of ground. Other, others fall on another kind of ground. Right? But you, what, what do you have in that illustration? You have these birds of the air. They come up and they eat up all the seed. And, that's, and then Jesus later on explains the parable and says these birds, they represent Satan. It represents demons. These demonic spirits, they come and they snatch up, they eat up a good sermon that Pastor Christian preached. <laughs> they snatch up dreams that you've had and you've been nurturing. And they try to snatch it up in seed form. You know why? Because Satan knows he cannot defeat in adulthood that which he can kill in infancy. He will always go after Things in your life that are in seed form. He'll always go after you in your infancy in, in w when it's just beginning. And you know what Satan did this? He, it's a strategy that he uses. He did this for Moses. Try to get Moses dead before he became an adult. Satan also tried to do this for the Son of God. When Satan found out that God the Son from eternity past, God the Son who always was, is, and is, will be, is to come... When Jesus Christ was going to come to the earth, Satan knew that once Jesus grew up, it's going to be trouble for him. So what did he do? He tried to kill Jesus while Jesus was still a baby. You know how he did that? King Herod. King Herod found out that there's a king supposed to be prophesied and supposed to be born. So he went and he had all the, all the male children in, in Bethlehem killed off. Right? It, was, it, was just, it was a horrible, horrible act. It was a demonic, witchcraft, controlling spirit. A political spirit that Herod was filled with. And he was doing the will of Satan. But I'll tell you right now, Satan, he, 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 he does that. He does that in the lives of Christian, Christian brothers and sisters in the church. Just think about the events of your life. Think about dream-crushing events in your life. Think about just that careless remark that your uncle made. Or that put down that your cousin used to, to say all the time to you. Or like your friend in the playground. Those things that they, they, they said, it wasn't just out of good front. Sometimes those things were said to try to kill you. Kill your dreams. Because Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan loves nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy your dreams. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you today, we need to dream. We need to learn how to dream again. And when we dream, we need to dream big. 
Because God is big. And guess what? If you have big dreams, you need big God to intervene. If you have small dreams, you can probably do it on your own. But when you got big dreams, you need big faith and a big God. And without his big help and consistent and constant help, you probably can't fulfill those big dreams. You're just going to look like a fool. If you have big dreams without big God involved, you're going to look like a fool. So here, here, here's the way you can tell whether you're dreaming a big dream. All right? if, if you think, if I try to fulfill this without God, I'm going to look like a fool, you, that's probably a big dream. It's a good test. Whether your dreams are, are, are truly big. Now, Satan tries to destroy our dreams. God tries to nurture our dreams. You see this in the life of Joseph, right? Joseph, while he's still young, while he is immature, while he does not have maturity or character, God gives him a dream. God gives him a dream that represents a position of great influence, a position of great authority. Now, you will notice that even though Joseph was immature, God chose to nurture Joseph's dream. You know, if we had it our way, if I had, if I was God, I would not give those such big dreams to a little child. I want, if, if I see that Pastor Marcus is being being arrogant and he's not is impatient and he's unloving, right? If I see that, I probably, if I was God, I would not give Pastor Marcus big dreams. I'll just get his get his head even bigger, right? If I was God, I would wait until Marcus matures. But you see, God doesn't do that. God gives you big dreams even in your youth, even in your immaturity. Even if you're a baby Christian, God can start to give you glimpses about what he wants to do with your life. And they can be big. And if you share it too carelessly, you're just going to you're gonna, you're gonna look foolish. And when Joseph shared these dreams, he looked foolish. He, and his brothers, his half-brothers hated him for it. Right? And so here's, here's what God does. God gives him another dream. That reinforces the first dream. Alright? Let me tell you what Satan does. Satan does this. Alright? He had, he had ten half-brothers at this time. Right? Out in the fields with him. I know there were twelve brothers. Only ten of them were out there in the field. The youngest one was too young by then. Alright? And so there's ten half-brothers. And they're all like, they're all like, man, let's get that dreamer. Man, here comes that little arrogant, little little bleeping bleeper, you know, and they're, they're probably like, man, let's get him, man. And you know what they said? Let's kill him. Right, that's Satan. Does that sound like Satan to you? That sounds like Satan to me. You know, some of us have this theology world. Well, God ordained him to be sold into Egypt so that, you know, that he can become the prime minister of Egypt later. That was all God's plan. It was a mysterious plan. But it was, no, look, they wanted to murder him. That sounds like Satan to me. Here's God. The oldest brother says, Ah, y'all, y'all, don't, don't, don't murder him. All right, uh, let's do this. Let's do this and this, but don't murder him. Okay, that's God intervening there to make sure Joseph don't die. I'm telling you, those other nine brothers, they wanted to kill him. So when the oldest brother went away and, and, and tried to, you know, try to save, his, uh, save Joseph, you know what the other brothers did? They said, man, man all right, we can't kill him. Man, let's just make some money off him. Let's, uh, let's what well, they beat him first. They made sure they beat him up. And then they sold him into slavery. Right? That was Satan's way of trying to kill the dream that was in Joseph's heart. 
Joseph gets to Egypt, gets sold into slavery as a servant, like a butler in one of these uh, very affluent Egyptians' houses. It's Potiphar, right? He's there as a butler in Potiphar's house. And Satan noticed that Joseph's dream is still very much alive. So how does Satan try to kill Joseph's dream? Second time, what does he do? He brings in sexual temptation. Now let me tell you something right now. For men in here, all right, you need to be very careful of sexual temptation. Whether you're in the corporate world, whether you're in the ministry, wherever you are, you know, don't nurture a pet habit of looking at pornography. Because whatever you allow, it's just going to grow bigger. And manifest one day in an adulterous affair or something like that. And you're going to find yourself without a ministry, without a job, without a wife, without a marriage. Right, don't do that to yourself. Our sexual temptation, it can kill a dream. And for Joseph here, right? He gets sexually tempted. That's Satan trying to knock out his dream again. But Joseph, he, he uh, runs away. Right? And so Satan's like, alright, you ain't going to play that game? All right, I'll attack you a different way. What does he do? Attacks him through false accusation. And Joseph ends up in the dungeon, in jail. I'm telling you right now, God is the one who nurtures our dreams. Satan tries to destroy them. Do you know what I believe one of the things that contributed to Joseph enduring all of the beatings, enduring him being falsely accused, enduring being in jail and then helping somebody out and then being forgotten about. You know how, how Joseph endured all of that? It was his faith in his dreams. His dreams provided the momentum, the endurance, the persistence for him to walk through them stuff. For him to walk through some stuff that was eventually, that was going to actually use, be got used by God to mold him into the man that he needed to be in order to be in that position of influence. I'm telling you right now, all of us in here, we need to learn how to nurture our dreams. We need to learn how to dream and dream big. You know, religion will tell you, dreams are, are bad. Dreams, are, that's your selfish ambition talking. You know, I, uh, I, have, I have some acting gifts. I believe I have some talents in acting and I have a passion to pursue a movie career. Young man, that is arrogance and pride speaking. <laughs> well, they don't say it like that, but you know, they'll be like, well, why do you want to go to Hollywood? Hollywood's filled with, you know, all kinds of immorality. Don't do that. Don't do that. Go, 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 go make a Christian movie that no one's going to ever watch. Right? <laughs> That's what they end up telling you. I mean, religion is so good at crushing the dreams of Christians. Religion, all religion tells you is, come to church, give us all your money so that we can evangelize and do missions. That's the true dream that you should, that's the only dream you should really pursue. That's what religion tells you. Put all your money and efforts and energy toward evangelism and missions. And by the way, I, I love evangelism and missions. But this is not the only way to advance the kingdom of God. 
In evangelical Christianity, that's the only message that gets driven home. And it's a result and a strength of the Reformation. But what we need to understand is, it's one aspect of advancing the kingdom of God. If Jesus, if he thought that was the only way to advance the kingdom of God, all Jesus would have done while he was here would have been evangelism and missions. No, Jesus didn't do that. What, what else did Jesus do? Jesus disciple. He did discipleship. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus casted out demons. Jesus confronted the leaders of that time. There's more ways to advance the kingdom than just evangelism and missions. And so, see, you see, you see, Martin Luther used to teach that, he used to teach that it's a myth that Christians have in their mind that there is a sacred call and that there's a secular call. So, for example, a lot of Christians believe that if you go into missions or you go into full-time ministry, that's a sacred call. And then if you go into engineering or you go into carpentry, that's a secular call. If you go into the music industry, that's a secular call. You know? And so we, we throw it around. Secular music, you know? Oh. Secular music. And so um, Martin Luther used to teach that that's a myth. There's no such thing as a sacred call and a secular call. He says every call of God is sacred. Amen? Amen. Whether you're called to be an engineer or a, or a teacher or, or the owner of a hagwan or you're, you're, you have a calling to make chairs and make them well, you, you, have, you have a call to, you know, like wherever, like every call of God is sacred. And that could involve going into the movie industry. That could involve making good music. Not just Christian music. How about just making good music? Why are Christians so afraid to make good music? They all have to go into the Christian music genre, but no one really pays attention to. And then they just forfeit the entire music genre to everyone else. Every call of God is sacred. And so, you know, in, in here, there's a variety, there's a diversity of dreams. And it's supposed to be like that. You know why? Because God wants His rule and His reign, His kingdom to be established in all spheres of a society. He wants His leaders, His people representing Him in the corporate world. He wants them in politics. He doesn't just want the Sarah Palins. I mean, God bless Sarah Palin. But look, what about just some good Christian politicians that don't have to use the whole like, you know, like politics to get, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, I, I mean God bless Sarah Palin for what she's doing. But, but we need some good, we need God's people representing him in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? MC Hammer had an opportunity at one point. I'm telling you right now, MC Hammer, he had it. He had that opportunity. He was the most influential hip-hop artist at one point. Right before gangster rap started. But I believe, and maybe Hammer is, is remorseful about this, because now he's a spiritual Christian. We all know that. And we saw him in the 1040 movie, and he works with Jason Ma. 
But uh, but man, but Hammer, I believe he 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 forfeited that. You know why? Because you know, you know, like after he was doing like, we got to pray just to make it today. We got to. He had these amazing songs. That good messages in them. They weren't all Christian messages, but you know, he had some good songs. And then, and then a couple of years later, gangster rap started. And guess what MC Hammer was trying to do? He's trying to do gangster rap. What? Who are you kidding, Hammer? Why are you trying to do gangster rap? We know you ain't that hard. You know, like he should have just made good music, but you know, he conformed. And, and, and I believe that Christians need to understand that they have wisdom and anointing from God to be successful in whatever industry God calls you to. We have an advantage. We have the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe, by the way, is very creative. You know, George Washington Carver, he was known, he came up with like, like, I don't remember how many, 51 inventions for peanuts. All right? He found, he used peanuts, African American history, right? Back in Philly, man, we used to study African American history. February came around. Every day was a lesson on African American history. I used to love it, all right? George Wilder Carver, man, he came up with ways to use the peanuts to dye your clothes better so that when you wash them, the dye doesn't fall away. He, used, he invented peanut butter. Come on. And you know, you know what, what happened? You know what, what happened? Somebody interviewed him one day and said, why don't you patent all this stuff and make money off of it? And you know what George Wilder Carver said? He said, how can I patent and make money off of something that I got for free from God? He confessed that he got all those inventions out of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He got them as inspiration from God. It wasn't him just studying real hard. I mean, I'm sure he studied hard. But it came as inspiration. He didn't just do it with peanuts. He did it with sweet potatoes. He did it because at that time, you know, you, you, the American economy is not doing so well. So they had to, he looked for the, the ingredients that were in abundant supply and he used those ingredients in new ways. Brothers and sisters, there are people in here that are, that are going to go on to create such innovative iPhone applications <laughs> that it's going to revolutionize how people live. I'll tell you right now, I just got a new app called Awesome Note, right? I think, I think, funny thing is, I've look, I looked at the lighter notes. Uh, their grammar is really bad. I think these are like guys from Singapore or China or something like that. Okay. They invented this awesome program called Awesome Note. It got featured on Apple's website. And it's actually a really good program. And it's, 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 it's helping me in ministry and in life in so many ways. All right. I'm telling you right now, innovation, creativity, it comes from God. Anyway, why am I on this, man? We need to dream big, y'all. We need to dream big. Man. Got sidetracked. Sorry. Now, um, some of you may be asking, well, maybe God wants um, Joseph to dream big. Maybe God wants the Apostle Paul to dream big. But does God want me to dream big? Does God want little old me to dream big? Maybe I should just dream a modest dream and just live, you know, just a quiet life and then meet Jesus and then be really happy. 
Should I dream big? That's the question. So I'm going to look at three passages. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 to 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. Here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, it's like your imagination cannot come close to conjuring up the amazing plans that He has for your life. What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared this passage is saying God has prepared amazing things for you. And you know what? A lot of people, they stop at this verse. And they say, well, you know, we can't imagine it, so might as well not even try. Okay. Well, you need to read the rest of the passage, right? Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Uh-oh. That means that these amazing plans, God has been revealing it to us through His Spirit. Which means when He reveals it to us, there's a responsibility for us to believe it. When God reveals uh, this amazing dream and call for your life, He reveals it to you by His Spirit. He expects you to believe it. So should I have big dreams for my life? Well, this passage is saying uh, everything that comes from God, the plans of God are amazing. And God reveals it to us. Uh, and check this out. Look at verse Look at verse 12 in that same passage. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand. Everybody say understand. understand. Say understand. understand. And we might understand the things freely given us by God. Brothers and sisters, I'm, t- I'm here to tell you today. Should you dream big? Yes. Because God reveals it to you by His Spirit. And He also... Gives you his spirit that you might understand what these dreams have to do with anything. Not just so that you know, but that you might understand the things that God freely gives us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Should we dream big dreams? Man, religion, I'll tell you right now, the voice of religion is so loud. it, it, It opposes this message. And I'm here to oppose the religious voice. That religious spirit that all they care about is the appearance of godliness but denying the power they're in. I'm here to oppose that today. Because too many Christian parents, they give bad counsel. I mean, God bless your parents. God bless and honor them. But if they're not speaking about the spirit of God, we need to understand and discern that. So check this out. Look at uh, Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, live your life with a big dream. Somebody say, live a life worthy. We got to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Look at at Ephesians 3.20 while we're there. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Oh, hallelujah. Now to him who is able to do 
far more abundantly than we can ask or think. So, so, so we can think about big dreams and God's like, I'm going to exceed that. And you're like, well, what about this, God? This is pretty big. I'm going to exceed that. God is able to do far more abundantly. Do you get that? NIV says immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. What is these passages telling you? These passages are telling you when you live life, God wants you to live life with big dreams. Because he can do immeasurably more than even the dreams that you can think of. You know, big dreams is important because big faith is important. The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith it's impossible to please God. Which means faith is the key to pleasing God. Right? Some people have little bit of itty bitty faith. Just the faith enough for you to get saved and get to heaven. And other people have faith like the Apostle Paul. Other people have faith like Martin Luther King Jr. Like William Wilberforce. They have history changing faith. They have big faith in big dreams. Big dreams are important. Because when you have big dreams, it requires big faith. If your dreams are just really, really small, you don't really need bigger faith in order to accomplish those things. But you see, even if you dream big and it has nothing to do with anything, guess what? The faith that you have in those big dreams, that's a faith that pleases God. Because faith always pleases God. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Now, now, to be real, I mean, you can dream up dreams and they have nothing to do with anything. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional hockey player. That had nothing to do with nothing. Because obviously, I, I never gotten on uh, ice skates and, and played hockey. I, I played street hockey, but never played ice hockey. Right? That dream had nothing to do with nothing. Maybe all it had to do was for me to connect with John Newfield, who loves hockey. I don't know. That had nothing to do with nothing. But when I was a dream, I also, when I was a kid, I also had a dream to be a writer. And I used to write poetry. I used to write all this poetry. And my uh, English teacher, Miss Alice, she used to love my writing. And she would just say, oh, Christian, you have a gift. You should be a writer. So, you know, at that time, Boys to Men was really popular. <laughs> and Boys to Men came out of a school called School of Creative Arts and, and um Creative and Performing Arts, Kappa, right? That's the school where they used to go out to. And so I wanted to go to that school because they had a creative writing program, right? But uh, eventually I went to a better school than that called Central High School. Uh, it's, it's number one school in America. We're the second oldest school in America, the second oldest high school in America, and, and we believe that we're the number one, all right? <laughs> Just believe me with that, all right? You can, you can research it. No, no, no. Um, but um, where am I going with that? <laughs> Hallelujah. What was going on with that? Yeah, I want to be a writer, right? Right. I had that dream to be a writer. And then um, I kind of I shelved that dream because it didn't seem like it was going anywhere. And then when I was in, when I was in um, high school, when I was in eighth grade and in high school, what happened was there was this um, minority engineering program. <laughs> And every urban city has one. Yeah, I don't know if you grew up in the urban city, but all right. Maybe Keanu knows what I'm talking about. Keanu, are you in there? Yeah, they, they have, we had this thing called Prime. And I don't remember what Prime stands for, but the last 
two uh, acronyms. It was minorities in engineering. Uh, something to do with minorities in engineering. And so when I went to Prime, they were like, you don't want to be a writer. You're not going to make no money like that. We need the minorities to make money. So they were like, man, don't get, forget the writing, man. Go become an engineer. Study some science. So I was like, okay, I'll study science. <laughs> True story. And so I'm in high school, and I'm studying science and math and, and physics, and I'm just studying my butt off in these subjects. And I, I noticed that I excel in these subjects. So I was like, I guess they were right. <laughs> And I kind of shelved the writing dream, right? Well, when I get to college, right, and people kind of challenge me to explore more areas, you know, explore more. And I went to a NYU business school, you know, so I was just like stuck on just doing one thing. I was going to do computer information systems and do, do it in the business world, and that was it, you know. But people encouraged me to explore more. And so I remember Zanga was very popular at the time. Zanga is an online blog site. And at that time, everybody and their mama had a Zanga. And so you write an entry, and all your, you get to see all your friends' entries, and, and then there was this thing called Zanga Stalker, and you, you'd be able to tell who, who actually looked at your site and all stuff. And I remember I would write on my Zanga entries, and I noticed that I would get a lot of comments. And after a while, it, like, it almost became like an addiction. Like, I wanted to get comments. So I would like, like spend all this time writing my blog entries. And it's still there, Zanga the, Zanga.com slash The Rock. And... Uh, <laughs> But, but through that blog, blog, writing those blogs, I actually developed more of my writing skills, right? And then the writing skills later on, I noticed that they helped me when I will be writing sermons. Because when I write sermons, I actually write word for word. Like today is like an exception, right? Most of the times, I write word for word what I'm going to say, right? And so it, it helped me with that. But then I feel like God's like, it's got to do with other things as well. And so I'm like, what, Lord? I feel like God's like, I want you to write a book. I'm like, okay. He's like, it's going to do well. It's like, yeah, baby. <laughs> right? And so, I mean, I got, I got these dreams, and it all has to do with, like, the, the, these things that God showed me even as a child. You know? And brothers and sisters, does God want you to dream big? I believe the Word of God says yes. Because He wants to do immeasurably more through you. Than what your parents ever said to you. When what your parents can ask or imagine from you. God wants to do immeasurably more than that. Than what your spouse even thinks that you can do. God wants to do immeasurably more than that. Amen. People who married. Amen. Any people that married? No. Alright. Just my, my wife. Alright. Right here. Chris. Chris and Shelly. Alright. Amen. Alright. God wants to do immeasurably more than what you even expect from your, from, from your spouse. And God wants to do immeasurably more than what you can even ask or imagine for yourself. He wants you to dream big. Now, um, how do you identify your dreams? Let me just give you two clues. How do I identify my dreams? What do I just like? Just, just pick a dream? Like, oh, hey, hey that seems like a good dream here. Lord, do that in my life. You know, like, how do you identify your dreams? All right, let me give you two clues. Number one, you observe your gifts. What are you good at? If you're good at golf, you should per perhaps pursue a golf career. But if you're not good at it, you should probably just give it up. But if you have hints that there's something there that you can develop, then maybe you should develop it. Like imagine where Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan were at one point. You know, Michael Jordan wasn't playing like Michael Jordan all the time when he was a kid, right? But Michael Jordan, he identified his gifts 
and he found his calling. What, what we can learn from Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, uh, uh, Tiger Woods, we can learn for the church, brothers and sisters. The voice of religion says, you all need to go to missions and you all need to die on the missions field and that's what you need to do, evangelize and missions and that's it. And that's the voice of religion. And what the voice of the Lord is saying is, what are you good at? Well, God, you know what I'm good at. Just tell me. Well, you're you. You know what you're good at. Just find out. <laughs> Do some reflection. What are you good at? If you're good at sports, maybe God has a call for you in, this, in the sports uh, arena. You know, sports has a huge shaping effect on culture. Did you notice that? And it's, it's a shame that so many athletes, they have a, a sacred call from God to be in the NFL. They have a sacred call of God to play baseball or to do golf. But none of the people, none of the leaders in the church are willing to disciple them. You know, like, like we at Campus Crusade used to have a ministry called Athletes in Action. It was one of the few ministries that I knew. New York Jets used to have Athletes in Action. And, and, and the Campus Crusade staff, he would go and he would have Bible studies with the New York Jets players every week. And he would lead them in prayer before they go out onto the field. Right, Philadelphia Eagles, we have that too. Man, Philadelphia Eagles, we are a praying bunch. I know there's some people that, that use foul language, but Jesus will get them. All right, Jesus, will, I mean, get them in a good way. Like, we'll get them. Like, we'll get them in to discipleship. But Philadelphia Eagles, we're a praying bunch. Anyway, anyway, um, these athletes have a real call by God, but there's no church leaders willing to disciple them. So what do they do? They look, they eventually look up to other people. And they get bad influence. And then their positions of influence, when they're influencing culture, they're influencing young people, they end up making poor decisions because they haven't discipled themselves. And what the church, we need to shift our paradigm. We need to understand that every call from God is sacred. And we need to understand that we got to disciple people who are in positions of influence in every sphere of society. So just because Denzel is working in Hollywood, don't demonize him. Because Denzel Washington, what you don't know, he's a spiritual Christian and he's got a prophecy on his life. That God will raise him up into a position of influence and every movie that he makes, makes a million dollars. Makes over millions of dollars. He got that prophecy before he became an actor. Denzel is in a position of influence. And he's using that influence positively. What we don't know, because we don't know what Denzel does. Well, I'm telling you what I heard from Jason Ma. Right? Denzel has positive influence in Hollywood using biblical principles to not only disciple people like traditional Bible study, but disciple actors and actresses and directors who have no sense of biblical principles. He influences them. I, that's, that's what... That's what we need. We need people to dream big. So anyway, gifts. Gifts are key to identifying your dreams. Second is your passion. What gets you excited? Where, what does your heart lean toward? You know, where, and, and passion can go a couple of ways. Passion can be things that you, that you just really have a heart for and then things that your heart really breaks for. All right, this is, this is a big key. Krisha 
shared with me something right before I left Hillside and gave me a revelation into this. Right? Passion gives us a clue to what dreams we should be dreaming. But passion can go both ways. It can, it can be what your heart longs for or what your heart breaks for. Like if you see human trafficking, you see the sex industry in Cambodia, and your heart breaks for that. And not just once, but consistently. You're, you just can't get your mind off of it. And you want to do something about it. That could be a clue into what you should be dreaming. Can we all come into agreement in here as a corporate body that, that human trafficking in Asia needs to stop? I mean, I know it happens in Europe as well. I know it's happening in America. San Francisco... Uh, just did another story on on um, it was on uh, CNN. They did a video on how pimps uh, right now drug dealers are becoming more pimps. They're making more money as pimps than they are as drug dealers. So so where they have to sell drugs and then they just make money off of that once, they just sell women, girls that are runaways off the streets, and then they pimp them and they make more more much more money off of the girls that they pimp rather than the drugs that they sell. So it's becoming a really big problem. And it's starting with girls as young as 12 in San Francisco. And it's a nationwide epidemic, they're saying. We didn't have this issue 10 years ago. I know it's happening in America, but in Asia, I mean, talk about the magnitude of what's going on in Asia. I mean, this thing's got to stop. You know, last time we were in Cambodia and we walked across the border. I remember I walked across the border from Cambodia to Thailand and there were these casinos there. I just remember just thinking, man, this doesn't feel right here. Something doesn't feel right. Lord, just, I just pray that this whole area get transformed. Become a place of positive tourism. Clean tourism. Good restaurants. Where it's known for good restaurants, not child sex. Right? I come back from that trip, and then one of our sisters that we connected with in Thailand named Matilde, she has a heart for uh, stopping human trafficking. And she shared with us that along that Cambodia-Thailand border, there are children that walk across that border, border almost every day looking for work in Thailand because Cambodia is so poor. They look for th- work in Thailand, and these children, they get kidnapped, they get raped, and they get forced into the sex industry. And we're just talking like any age. We're not even talking like 12-year-olds. You're talking like any age. I mean, that stuff's got to stop. And we need the people of God to dream dreams not only that human trafficking stops, but that out of these Cambodian children rise up leaders that will change their nation. Leaders that will go on and, and make movies that are going to be sold all across Asia. Like, like the story of Manny Pacquiao. I'm talking about Manny Pacquiao. Come on, somebody. You all don't know Manny Pacquiao. Let me educate you on Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao... He grew up in General Santos in the southern islands of the Philippines. I've been there several times for missions. Very poor area. Right? And when he was a kid, he was so poor, he looked for work through boxing. And when he would box, he'd get maybe $2 a match if he won. Right? And so uh, he noticed that he had a gift in boxing. So he pursued boxing. And eventually he actually moved to Manila and started fighting in, in Manila. When, and he's only like 16, 15 years old. Skinny kid. He was 90 pounds when he started boxing. And he could not make weight because the minimum weight limit was like 99 or 100 or something like that. So you know what he'd do? He would put weights in his pockets in order to make weight. 
so he can box. Anyway, this, this guy is a real poor guy, right? Today, all right, boxing experts say he is the greatest boxer that has ever lived. People that work with Mike Tyson, people that work with Muhammad Ali are saying, pound for pound, this is the greatest boxer that has ever lived. Manny Pacquiao holds championship belts, and correct me if I'm wrong, in eight weight divisions. In eight weight divisions. That's like, that's like me fighting, let's say Chris Mitchell here, he's in my same weight, weight class. Let's say we're both like 130, and we fight, and I, build, I bust him up, and I win. <laughs> And everybody's like, wow, wow, a Christian can fight, all right? Well, I wonder what he, how he'll do if he fought someone that's taller and lankier and heavier, like Yas. So then yes, Yas is heavier and he's got a bigger reach. And then I fight Yas and I mess him up too. <laughs> and then people are like, man, well, whatever, man. He can't fight, you know, Ryan Duker, who's much more, you know, muscular, you know? <laughs> and, then, and we're like, all right, well, let's set up the match. We'll go up, we'll go up uh, several weight divisions. And Manny Pacquiao will get in the ring and knock Ryan out. Right? So Manny Pacquiao has fought in all these weight divisions. And he has won again and again and again. But you know what his passion is for? You know what his dream is at? It's not just to become the, the championship boxer of the world. His dream is to change his nation and to break them out of poverty. So you know what Manny Pacquiao did recently? He ran for a Congress seat. And he won. And he's been studying as much as he can. Right? And people were like, oh, you're going to lose. They had a, he had a fight a couple weeks ago. And everybody was like, you're going to lose because you're, you're too busy. You're too distracted with politics. Manny Pacquiao got in the ring and messed that homie up. <laughs> Brother has a gift. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I think God has like gift for boxing. Like it's labeled. Like he, you know, I don't think it's like coincidence he's got a gift for boxing. Because boxing takes a particular set of skills. You know, you got to know how to find somebody's chin. And it's, it's not easy. <laughs> and he will knock you out. Man, anyway, Manny Man Pacquiao has a dream. And it's a big dream. And it's to break his country out of poverty. How beautiful is that? That's his true passion. It's not boxing. Boxing is simply a platform for him to fulfill his dreams. And that's what he's doing as he steps out in politics. And God bless him as he does it. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn from people like Manny Pacquiao. We, we, we up in here in the church, we, we think, we, we gather together on Sundays and we worship God together and we pray together and we hear a good message and we think this is as good as it gets. No! Church needs to go outside these four walls. Church, we're supposed to be the soul and light of the world.